This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with over 150,000 titles to choose from. When you're done with this podcast, please visit audibletrial.com forward slash the renaissance for a free audiobook with your 30-day trial membership. Today I have two recommendations, The New Atlantis by Francis Bacon and Leviathan by Thomas Hobbes. Both of these would become important to the foundations of English and later American political theory. You may choose these or another one of their many titles when you visit audibletrial.com forward slash the renaissance for your free download. Hello, and welcome to the Renaissance, episode 1.2, The Roots of Revolution. Okay, I know I said I would not be back this week, but I had a little extra time, and I thought it might be fun to explore the links between the Renaissance and the American Revolution. Yes, there really is a connection between the two. To do this, we need to look at two men from the English Renaissance. One, Francis Bacon, a true Renaissance man, is known for discovering and promoting the scientific method of inquiry, and has been put forth as the true author of Shakespeare's plays. This is patently false, of course, but the rumor still persists today. He was also Lord Chancellor of Britain, and in his spare time enjoyed writing philosophical works on science as well as politics. Bacon is the first to propose the separation of church and state, and of the idea of freedom of conscience. The other figure is a stuffed tiger, and the other half of Calvin and Hobbes. Yes, I'm serious. The characters are named after the Protestant reformer John Calvin and Thomas Hobbes, who we will be discussing today. Thomas Hobbes represents a transitional figure between Renaissance England and the Restoration. He was a younger contemporary and a friend of Francis Bacon. Hobbes is known for his social contract theory of government, as in the government is created by a contract between the people and its government. Both of these writers would later influence John Locke, who expanded on this idea that the role of government was to protect certain God-given rights, such as life, liberty, and property. Sound familiar? Many of the ideas enshrined in the Declaration of Independence were taken directly from Bacon, Hobbes, and Locke. In fact, Thomas Jefferson had his notes from his studies of these three philosophers while in Philadelphia for the Continental Congress. He was hoping to be asked to help draft the Virginia Constitution and felt the Continental Congress was a waste of his time. He had no idea, however, that he would be asked to draft the American Declaration of Independence and these notes would prove to be invaluable. Francis Bacon was an aristocrat and a statesman and his work in the sciences and philosophy were merely his hobby. He is also one of the most often quoted philosophers in history. Have you ever heard someone say knowledge is power? Yep. That's Francis Bacon. Born in 1561, Bacon would rise to prominence in the court of Queen Elizabeth. 
as a talented attorney and a member of Parliament. Bacon occupied a unique role as a friend of the monarchy, but also as a liberal reformer who advocated for a constitutional monarchy. We could go on at length about Bacon's contribution to the sciences, as he was considered the father of the scientific revolution, which certainly had a huge effect on Western Europe and North America. But I would like to focus a little bit more on his direct influences. Bacon was directly involved in the founding of both Virginia and the Carolina colonies. He saw North America as a testing ground for new ideas, where a new utopian civilization might rise. In fact, he writes of such a land in his novel, The New Atlantis. In this work, he describes a utopian society in the middle of the Pacific, where the sciences and the state coexisted and worked together. Bacon presents a model for how the sciences should operate within the framework of government. And this sets the example for the Royal Society of London, which would be the leading organization for scientists within England. On the political and religious side, we see a separation of powers in this land. No longer was the church and the state linked, but its citizens had freedom of conscience and the freedom to worship freely as they chose. This was unheard of in the 16th and 17th century, where it was assumed that the state and the church were inexorably linked. Originally, it had been the Catholic Church and Catholic monarchs, but as the Protestant Revolution held sway in Northern Europe, it became whatever branch of the Reformation the nobles chose to adopt. In fact, part of the appeal of the Protestant Reformation for many of the kings was that they could be independent heads of the church within their own country, without interference from the Pope, who essentially acted as a monarch in his own right. For the common people, very little changed. When their ruler changed loyalties, they were expected to do the same, or be branded a traitor. So religious toleration and freedom of concept were radical concepts. The ideas presented in the New Atlantis would later be expanded by John Locke, as he laid out the reasoning why forced conversion was detrimental to both the individual and the tranquility of the state, as it fomented religious wars like the civil wars we would see in England in the 17th century. Born in 1588 in England, Thomas Hobbes, like Bacon, was a man of science, physics specifically, as well as a man of politics. It would be his political writings that would cause him to flee Paris during the so-called Long Parliament just prior to the English Civil War. Ironically, Hobbes, unlike his friend Bacon, was a supporter of absolute rule of the monarchy. His writings defend this right of the kings. We see this in his most famous work, Leviathan. However, in his political theory, this right is bestowed upon the king not by God, but rather through a social contract. Essentially, Hobbes states that all men are created equal by God. God therefore gives men certain rights. Some would call this natural law. In order to maintain stability, the individual gives up some of these rights willingly, and then the society comes together to form a government, whether it's a monarchy or a parliament. Without a strong central government, anarchy would reign, and man would be in a state of continual war, or a war of all wars, as Hobbes puts it. So the forming of governments, whether they be monarchies or parliament, will lead to stability and relative peace. Locke would later expand upon this and offer an opposing view. Yes, the citizens choose their government, but to protect their rights, namely life, liberty, and property. These rights Locke considered inalienable, 
They could not be taken away by government as part of the social contract, and government's role was to protect these rights. This brings us back to Jefferson in 1776, a student of philosophy, among other things. He was well-versed with these thinkers, as many of the delegates were. They formed the basis of the idea of the rights of Englishmen in English liberty. The delegates were not attempting to secure some new rights, but maintain the rights they felt they possessed as true Englishmen. We can thank the Renaissance thinkers Francis Bacon and Thomas Hobbes for the foundation they laid for Locke and Jefferson and this great experiment in liberty that is the United States. Have a happy and safe 4th of July, and we will return next week to discuss Giotto.